Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. One of our goals with the Smart Economy Podcast is to offer series that are dedicated to major topics and trends through interviews with builders from across the blockchain industry. The inaugural series focused on DAOs, the second focused on DeFi, and our third series will focus on women in blockchain. For this series, we interviewed some of the most interesting women working in various industries that are building within and across blockchain ecosystems today. The Women in Blockchain series will feature representatives from the insurance, health, education, and VC sectors, and discuss how blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies are integrated into the work they do. Each of these interviews brought a fresh and unique perspective as well as discussed the opportunities and constraints of diversity within the blockchain space. I hope you gain as much insight from these conversations as I did. In episode one of the Women in Blockchain series, I chat with Danielle Wall-Elliott, the COO at Names and former director of operations at the Shapeshift Non-Custodial Exchange. Names is seeking to build the world's leading fully regulated marketplace for on-chain insurance. The team aims to develop a single location for the creation of insurance programs, the raising and trading of capital, the writing of risk, and the payment rails for premium and claim transactions. In this conversation, Danielle and I discuss her background and time at Shapeshift, the decentralization of Shapeshift as a corporation, how the cryptocurrency space has changed since 2014, the insurance industry becoming more digital, the types of clients Names seeks to insure first, the inclusivity that cryptocurrency inherently offers, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Danielle, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey guys, Dylan with the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we are joined by Danielle Wall-Elliott. How are you doing today, Danny? Hey, doing good. Excited to be on. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you join the pod. You're the second Shapeshift alumni, I guess, at this point that's joining. Yep. Are you still participating in the DAO or? No, I, now that I have my new role, I really was trying to be a good support in that transition from centralized entity to the DAO. I'm still an advisor for the centralized company. uh, So random questions pop up. I'll answer them, try to help as best I can. Uh, just having that long-term history and, and knowledge of, you know, where the bodies are buried. <laughs> so still a big fan of what they're doing and, and keeping up with them and big Fox fan, Fox fam. But yeah, I'm working on my new project now. So that's really nice to start something new. Cool. Before we get into all of that, when I was digging around your past a little bit, I noticed that we both went to school in the Southeast. I went to Florida State. You went to Auburn, and we both studied subject matter that doesn't necessarily pertain to what we're doing today. So I guess to start off the pod, what, what's kind of your background, educational, early work experience, and how did you 
end up in the crypto space? Yeah, that's a great, great intro. My name is Danielle Wall Elliott. I am from North Carolina. Since I was in like third grade, if you asked me what I wanted to do, I wanted to be the president. I really thought that like politics was my calling. I like organizing people. I like having, you know, a position that gives me the opportunity to affect change. So did a lot of volunteering in different political campaigns, you know, as a teenager, decided to go to Auburn University and study political science. I interned in D.C. for a senator, for a congressman, gave tours of the Capitol, you know, just really deep in it. And then just about my junior, senior year, kind of realized through that experience, like these people don't have their own opinions. They have a fact sheet that's given to them every morning. Here's the votes that are up for debate. Here's how you should vote, you know, and anything that was coming in, I was working in different Republican offices. So anything that came in from the Democrat side literally went straight into the recycling bin. I always joke like, well, at least they were recycling. Um, But uh, yeah, so it just kind of felt very much like that thing that I wanted and what I was searching for, making change or making progress just wasn't going to happen if I went down that path of politics. So my senior year, I found this guy, Mike Donovan. He was running for governor of Colorado as an independent, and he was very much into Austrian economics and just, just overall freedom. And just small things. So he was the mayor of Glendale, Colorado, and he allowed his dispensaries to be open later than all of the Denver dispensaries. You know, he allowed the strip club that his wife owned to be open later than all the strip clubs in Denver. So just small uh, wins for Liberty. And then I actually went to Liberty on the Rocks, which is like a libertarian meetup, and met my now family. And they kind of challenged my beliefs. They challenged who I was as a person. You know, they told me they didn't vote. They told me they didn't believe in governments in general. And I'm like, what? Who are you people? But through that and through reading, you know, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt, by reading just some of, subscribing to some of the Austrian economic beliefs, um, I kind of realized like, oh, okay, there is potentially a way to create change and move forward without participating in this like left versus right, red versus blue. And then, yeah, they introduced me into crypto. I bought my first Bitcoin in 2014 with my rent money at the time (laughs) and pretty much have never been the same since. Uh, So I worked a little in the cannabis industry, doing some operations and helping the company I was working for pass like regulatory applications and get licenses, kind of trying to find my space. And then I had a few friends from Liberty on the Rocks, Eric Voorhees, co-founder of Shapeshift and my friend Megan, who is running support, and basically it's like, please let me work there. Please, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. So I started as support there and you know, was their 12th employee back in 2016 and just grew with the company and matured and, and really found my spot in operations, which makes perfect sense of like who I am and you know what I want to be. And the rest is history. I think we've <laughs> talked about this in the past, but uh, it was because of the Shapeshift Exchange in 2017 that I got my first exposure outside of Bitcoin into altcoins. And that was when I got my first NEO and understood a little bit about what that technology was and then started correcting misinformation online, levered that into becoming the job that I have now outside of this podcast, which is writing about NEO. So 
Um, it's always uh, really awesome to be able to have friends that are at or were at Shapeshift because that was kind of like my orange pill or green pill for Neo. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Shapeshift just had such a foundation and a, you know, with Eric setting the tone for liberty, for, you know, doing right by people, not taking data as much as possible, having self-custody options out there for people, especially in crypto. You know, we just had a great North Star in him and, you know, what he was believing and it really translated through the company. And so, yeah, I love love my Shapeshift fam. So you joined in 2014 and you were a little bit degenerate spending your rent money on Bitcoin. (laughs) I think a lot of people can relate with uh, being degenerate on something that they first come to learn about and fall in love with. But what was the the vision or the, the ethos of the cryptocurrency space back then? Because even by the time I got in in 2017, the narrative was the institutions are coming. So we were well on the the path to seeing blockchain and crypto become an industry in and of itself. But in 2014, you know, that was two years after Mt. Gox. I think when you started working, wasn't there like either a bear market or just kind of like a long sideways market? So what was the conviction? Yeah. So 2014, I got into it. And, you know, what I remember the most about that is we literally thought people would be buying their coffees with Bitcoin. Like that is what like people thought it would kind of replace the dollar. And I think like that has completely shifted. And over, you know, the last, even in probably 2017, it was, it was different. The emergence of stable coins also makes that like pretty irrelevant. Like no one wants to use their digital gold to buy coffee, but that was definitely ethos back then. Like that's what I heard a lot of. And I would get really frustrated with my friends, with the people that were in the space because they would not spend their Bitcoin but they were like expecting other people to. So they saw it as this huge store of value. They really wanted to be long-term on it, but they were kind of expecting other people to use it. And then I also, I mean, I think I just realized early on, like for me, I was able to buy one. It was very cheap. It was pretty inexpensive. That whole number really stuck with me. And then as I've been trying to get family or friends involved in the future, they can't get over that whole number piece. And so like buying a fraction of a Bitcoin. So that was also when I kind of realized like, okay, Bitcoin, you're not going to be our currency of choice, but you will be this you know, store of value. You'll set the tone. You'll be the OG, the godfather of the industry. And then of course, like Ethereum coming out, building on top of Ethereum, you realize like, okay, yeah, that's right. Like Bitcoin replaces gold, Ethereum replaces banks. And so have your concepts or ideologies of what Bitcoin was when you first got into the space in 2014, have they held true over the past eight years? How have they changed or adapted? One big misconception that I had was just that it was anonymous. You know, people using it to... The first time I'd ever heard of it was in college. People are using it to buy drugs on Silk Road. It felt very kind of... I don't even want to say black market, but like super, super fringe. Like, how am I ever going to get my mom, my grandma, you know, anyone to to participate? And so, yeah, I think just learning, learning how it actually works, learning about tools like Chainalysis and knowing 100% you are not anonymous. Like, they probably know exactly who you are. <laughs> so those, you know, just maturing with the technology, understanding it better, and kind of trying to fight some of those initial stereotypes that had about being like, you know, for criminals, 
for people that wanted to hide. Um, and when you can debunk that and say, well, they can't hide, you know, it's all trackable, it's transparent, it's traceable, you know, that really allows you to be a more mature investment and have people take you more seriously, I think. Yeah. And finally, by the time people were able to buy coffee with their Bitcoin, it was through like a partnership of a third-party app with Starbucks. So it had to have been the most underwhelming kind of win ever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you know, even now I have my my Coinbase card. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm at the pump and I'm paying for my gas with my crypto, but it like it doesn't feel any different. But that is what is supposed to happen. And and that's where we'll get that mass adoption. Mm-hmm. So what's your perspective of what Bitcoin's role is in the world today uh, moving forward? Is it pretty much along the lines of what you originally thought, digital gold? I think so. And I think it just sets the standard of you know having a set supply, showing what that can do and showing how the value can continue to go up because it has this really set supply because you can see more and more people, more and more addresses holding it. You know, for me, I'm definitely more into Ethereum right now just because it's this money Legos. It's like something just to build on top of and build and build and build. And I see us, I I got really inspired by, you know, Vitalik saying like, let's not just innovate on things that make us money. Like let's actually try to change the world. So I'm definitely more into that right now. But I think just in general, Bitcoin sets the standard. It sets the tone. It did it right. It's simple. And that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to, we don't need to like build all the things on top of it. And yeah, I'm definitely not any kind of like maxi. I think like all chains will exist. Every time I'm on a panel, they ask that, like what chain's going to win? It's like, no, you're missing the point. Like there'll be something that's built on top where you can access all the chains. Like that's the future. Mm-hmm. Have you been uh, green pilled by Kevin Owaki and Gitcoin? I have, of course. Yeah. Every time I see him, I'm like, yo, Give me that tic-tac bud. And <laughs> I, I think he's doing a great job of promoting the idea of solving other problems other than you know traditional finance or making a new ETF that's crypto. And so I, I really appreciate what he's doing for the space. Yeah, he's really bringing this public goods kind of conversation to the front and helping people realize that there's a lot more than just number go up and my wallet get bigger. <laughs> exactly. So you were at Shapeshift for a minute basically like five years. Yep. Almost six years. Yeah. At the end there. Almost six years. And what was uh, the vibe like before and after Ethereum? Because beforehand, it's like you're trading what? Like Dash and these other coins that were just copy paste code. Haircoin, Darkcoin, Dogecoin, Litecoin, just like all Bitcoin clones, basically. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't overnight. By any means, but when you look back and reflect on it, it feels like that. But yeah, I mean, for most of Shapeshift's history, it was just Bitcoin and Ethereum. Even though we supported hundreds of coins, you know, that was always about ninety percent of our volume. You know, even at its launch, it wasn't it wasn't DeFi. There wasn't a bunch of projects being built on it, but it still had this kind of like vibe. Oh, it's new. Mm-hmm. What can we do with this? And do you think where we're at today exceeded? what you thought could happen? Are things happening? Oh, yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, like, I wish I had a crystal ball and could have thought of all these things ahead of time. I mean, even when when Eric and John, you know, announced like, oh, we're going to turn into a DAO. I was like, damn, why didn't I think about that? Like, why, I wish I had that idea. Yeah. And it seems so simple when someone says it out loud. 
but it, it was a really big revolutionary idea, especially at the time when we said it and thought it and had to plan it out and had to plan, how do you lay off your whole staff and how do you buy your company out with the assets on your balance sheet? So looking back, you're always like, wow, that was, that seemed like, duh, everyone's going to do this. But at the time it, it's all so new. I mean, you're just trying to keep up. It's a it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. You are just trying to keep up with like what is currently happening. And then potentially maybe you're brainstorming of like the future you're thinking ahead. Yeah. And so the DAO was announced last year and effectively took shape this year. Would you say that that's a direct correlation with the KYC that Shapeshift had to enforce in 2018-19 because of looming potential legal issues and to make sure that everybody stayed out of jail? (laughs) Or do you think this conversation would have happened anyways, just maybe a little bit longer? Maybe a little longer, but yeah, I think, you know, I have some facts here that I used in one of my previous presentations. It's like Shapeshift processed $6 billion in volume, you know, from January 2017 to April 2021. But most of that was before KYC. KYC comes around and we go from on our best days doing $50 million, $75 million volume days to like, we could barely get $5,000 in volume when we had to start taking KYC. It just wasn't us. Like I said, we had this like super clear brand identity. We knew where we were going. And so it became, you know, it became hard for our employees who did not want to take people's information, but to to kind of be forced to do it. It's still better than shutting down. It's still better than not having a job. You know, so we just tried to still provide this self-custody exchange, which is very important to us. You know, still there's a moment of trust in between. We call it a crypto vending machine. So send in your one coin, we'll send out the other. But yeah, it became different. We tried to, okay, well, what are the other value adds that we can do? Okay, so now we have a fiat on an off-ramp. Then we started to integrate uh, different hardware wallets. So it was like this one-stop place to view your entire portfolio. Plug in your ledger, plug in your key key, plug in your Trezor, have your software wallets. So what what kind of value could we add? And then, you know, this aha moment comes where we realize generally Shapeshift would have the exchange accounts on behalf of the customers. So we had an account at all the major exchanges. We would on the back end, you know, make the trades. So we touched all the crypto. So what's the solution to not touch the crypto? And then the emergence of DEXs came out and it was like, oh, wow, this could really help us. But like I mentioned earlier, our main 90% of our trades was Bitcoin to ETH and ETH to Bitcoin. So having it just DEX didn't give our customers the full experience that they would have expected from us. So enter chat, Thorchain. And so once we were able to have both Thorchain, which we launched with them on day one, and zero x a dex aggregator we could offer the same exact services the users didn't know any difference but now shape have got out of the trading game can you just share real quick like an eli5 of what thorchain is yeah so thorchain is a cross chain decentralized exchange and i feel like it's the most underrated project in crypto i always say that i'm always saying oh yeah you know thorchain and people are like no i don't what how we were talking a lot about like the past and what people were talking about. 
people were so hardcore, like atomic swaps, atomic swaps. When we can get the chains to talk to each other, that's going to be the future. And so when DoorChain came out, they got the chains to talk to each other, literally is decentralized. I thought, oh my God, this project is going to like take over. Everyone's going to take notice. And that's, that's kind of part of being in crypto for a long time too, is you realize nothing's overnight, nothing's instant. Like you need to grind, you need to prove yourself. And that's what they're doing right now. And so, yeah, they allow you to connect seamlessly between different chains, which other people are not doing that. So then, yeah, Shapeshift has access to all this trading functionality. They can get out of the trading business. And then basically they just took that a step further and realized we can get out of the business business as well <laughs> and uh, become a DAO. So when Shapeshift uh, decorporatized and became a DAO, there were a lot of different projects and assets under management. You had KeepKey, CoinCap, the exchange or the website itself, the engineers that were working on the back end. So what was the process like for juggling all this as a corporation and then deciding who's going to take ownership over what as you guys became more decentralized? Yeah, I mean, we had a great team of lawyers, our, our finance team, they did all the heavy lifting to make sure that we could shut down all the entities, pay everyone out appropriately. So that's, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Also just untying any investments, any other projects. So they spun up a foundation. The foundation is not meant to last a very long time, but definitely help in that transition. Shopped around for buyers for the different projects that we had. I know Keep Key was actually purchased by you know, a former employee and someone that's working with the DAO and they've teamed up with the DAO to, to continue that project on, which is really cool. Another thing that Shapeshift had was a bunch of validators on different chains. And so had a former employee, you know, put a proposal to the DAO. They took over the validators, you know, and they split the profits with the DAO. So a lot of synergies still existing with a lot of the things that we were doing. And yeah, some of them are, I think, you know, still looking for some buyers and still trying to just unwind some investments and, and get everything settled. It's definitely not the flick of, of a switch for sure. Yeah. And so you kind of had to transition out of this role when you were working for Shapeshift. And I guess the DAO is perfect because you can kind of choose to donate or work on whatever project you want and give how much time you want. But you've also since migrated to a new role at Names. So as we're transitioning from Shapeshift to Names, what was that like? I guess that maybe six-month period while you're like, oh, I'm losing my corporate job, but I'm fine with it. I'll start looking for another role. You also had been at Shapeshift for six years. So like maybe you can take a breather in between. What was that kind of like break like? And how did you still participate in Shapeshift, but also put your feelers out for new positions? Yeah, so Shapeshift did three rounds of layoffs is the, the best term for it. And we tried to be really strategic with who we let go first so that they could go and join the DAO and set up the DAO. And so like you see like marketing and some product people going first. Okay, now they can set up this foundation of the DAO. There's work streams. We need to elect work stream leaders. Next up was the largest piece, and that was like engineers. Okay, they know their date. So it's like August 31st, October 31st, and then the final few, December 31st. So we gave ourselves plenty of time to have a lot of crossover. So we're able to, so I was able to really help 
with that foundation of the DAO, like seeing the first few proposals go through, you know, Willie, he is so instrumental in coming up with that foundation and giving us a framework and a guideline to like follow and go after. And so we had it so much easier than any of these other DAOs that are brand new because we knew how to work with each other. We knew what departments owned what. We came in with such a foundation. So I actually think like so smart the way that it was done, you know, hats off to Willie and John and Eric and that transition. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird though, because also, you know, in July, I kind of knew that I was losing my job in December and, you know, almost being with Shapeshift for six years, it was part of my identity as part of who I was. And it has felt really cool and freeing in a way to go start something new. Yeah. I got reached out from a recruiter and I was just like, insurance. I don't know about that, (laughs) (laughs) but it was the right role. And so, you know, met their team immediately felt like I'm on this team. Like I can be a great contributor here. So moving over to names, names is a marketplace, fully regulated marketplace for on-chain crypto native insurance. At the beginning, we want to allow like regulated brokers, underwriters, we call them sponsors to run these individualized balance sheets of insurance risk on our on our platform and find alternative capital types. So, you know, right now these same people, they only have the traditional capital that most other insurance is going after, you know, we're trying to have a crypto native version of that. So hopefully someone that has Bitcoin can come in, put up the capital for this sell, as we call them, and capitalize, say, Bitcoin mining insurance. And so this person comes up with a business plan. They say, you know, we want to insure Bitcoin miners up to 50 Bitcoin. They can come on our marketplace and find that, you know, matching 50 Bitcoin to team up and, and to run that sell. And for us, we are fully collateralized for this first year. That's something that we really wanted to do just to make sure everything's like working right. Our smart contracts are are all good. The business model makes sense. And then we'll do leverage business after that. Yeah. And so I think we're kind of seeing a massive unwind of degenerate leverage at the institutional level. Yeah. Was this something that you had kind of envisioned would be an issue? I don't want to name any names, but it seems like some funds got a little bit overzealous and went very leveraged. And now they can't make their margin calls. And insurance is supposed to be a super safe industry. Right. So how do you balance the volatility of crypto as it is with incorporating this into an insurance marketplace? Yeah. I'll say first, the names team, when I joined, they had done such a great job at the foundation and really just went through the process of deciding how to be cautious and how to do everything above board. We are not just trying to find DGENs to give insurance to. We are trying to transform the insurance and the reinsurance market overall. We do not see this as being just crypto-related insurance. You know, We see this as everything. We see this as the future. We would like to replace Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's of London just required digital forms like two years ago. Sorry, Lloyd's you're not going to make it. Like (laughs) You need to advance way faster than that. So it's not just that we have the crypto native piece uh, for the collateral. As well, they did a program, their first program, and it was one Bitcoin of coverage. And over that time, you know, went from 15,000 to 40,000. So it proved the model. 
if had that person been insured for $15,000 and something happened towards the end of it, you know, they wouldn't get their full value out, but it being native in Bitcoin, they're going to end up with a Bitcoin at the end of it if they need the insurance at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And maybe let's just take a step back because I didn't know until we spoke recently what Floyd's of London is or really, I mean, I've as part of jobs I've had, I've had to participate in the insurance that was presumably bought off of a marketplace. But what is an insurance marketplace and what is Floyd's of London and why are they so prominent? Yeah, well, Floyd's of London has been around for over 300 years and they started as a group of uh, ship owners. Someone's ship went down and they decided to get together and all cover the one ship rather than let the one guy take the hit. And those were names, N-A-M-E-S. And so that's a little nod to where names, N-A-Y-M-S, gets its name. And yeah, I mean, if you don't know about insurance, which I'm new to the industry as well, but there's a secondary market for insurance. So you and I, we have our healthcare, we have our dental, we have all these things. But the insurance company doesn't just cover that. They don't just you know, let that sit as a liability on their insurance balance sheet. They go out and find capital to either match it or, like we had mentioned, potentially leveraged. So I'll give two examples. Say for car insurance, that can totally be like leveraged. You could do $100 million with car insurance and you know be fine just getting $50 million of capital. The premium payments go to that capital provider. And so like, you know, why do you want to do this? It's uncorrelated to the market. Um, so it allows people, pension funds, funds to have an uncorrelated asset, you know, in their portfolio. So not every car is going to break down on the same day. You know, not every car is just going to break down because the market is down, nothing like that. So it allows for diversity. And so for that example, like you said, like not every car is going to break down. Not every car is going to get in a wreck. Uh, So it allows for different risk tolerance. But let's say a hurricane, hurricane insurance, whatever insurance company, they go and they say, hey, I want to write $100 million worth of Florida hurricane insurance. Well, the likelihood that every claim happens is actually, you know, much higher. So they might go and find actually $100 million. They call this reinsurance. Reinsurance is a $7 trillion industry every year. Um, And so they go and find this kind of matching piece. The person that puts up the capital, they're going to make probably more than, say, they put up the capital for something like car insurance. And they're going to earn those premiums. But if the hurricane happens, who's on the hook for paying out all those claims? Well, it's the capital provider. So that basically allows for this secondary market to emerge and for people to have this access to again, uncorrelated to the general market returns. Um, And so we think that's actually really valuable in the crypto industry as well, because as you know, everything kind of goes together. Uh, If Bitcoin's going down, everything's kind of going down with it. We were kind of scared, like, how are we going to compete with these 19% returns when we can only offer four to 6% or, you know, maybe, maybe a little higher than that. But knowing what people know now, after, you know, all the Luna and Terra stuff happened, People are actually happy to have opportunity to have something that's uncorrelated, a little more uh, safe, and still get those guaranteed returns. If uh, Names has a bunch of insurance funds or providers coming to the platform to provide their services, what's the sort of protection level against like a 50% market drop? 
my first answer that comes to mind is just that it's all in the native terms. So, you know, we're insuring one Bitcoin, we're not insuring the dollar value. So it really doesn't matter to us if the market goes down 50%. It might matter to the people that are paying their premiums and they're actually pretty happy if the market goes down. You know, now that's a little cheaper for them. But, you know, overall, this idea of it being in the crypto native terms is how we're trying to step out of having risk of volatility of you know market prices. So you guys are launching in quarter four of this year. Who do you envision as sort of your first clients? Are they going to be the Bitcoin miners and the validators? Are they going to be like pension funds or anybody else? Yeah, I think definitely who's interested first are people that want crypto native cover. So yes, it will be the Bitcoin miners. It will be cold storage coverage, uh, just the classics out there. But the hope is to, to move on much further past that. So cyber insurance, prime and VC, you know, really starting with a few lines of business at first, and then we'll expand, you know, as we, as we go on. So I noticed on the platform, there's already uh, one beta tester, I assume. That's not names. So what's your general feedback from your first client or first user? Um, and what's the process been like iterating on the information that they've provided you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, definitely that that very first launch program, just that the price went up and they were covered and everybody knew they would get that amount. That was really that proof of concept that we needed. I think otherwise, it's just education on both parts right now. We're trying to educate some of our partners on, you know, what is a MetaMask account? You know, what is MetaMask institutional and how can we connect them so that they can have all the controls that they need for their financial department to be happy? A lot of these people don't even have crypto on their balance sheet. So it's a lot of education in that regard. And then, yeah, a lot of education back to us. Like, you know, we think of something as being like super simple and then they come back and, you know, they have like five pages of changes to our participation agreement or, you know, whatever agreements we have. So it's just a lot of learning and and building right now and going back and forth. Some of our partners are already in the crypto insurance space. So they're more like direct to consumer. So it's just learning about what it is that they're doing. We had one partner who actually was providing insurance for the stable coin uh, DPEG. And so I just was like asking them for as much information as they would give me, like, what happened? How much was it? You know, who all claimed? So yeah, we're, we're all learning together. And, and I mentioned this earlier, like crypto, you are drinking from a fire hose. You are just trying to figure it out. It's the same right now with crypto insurance. I also went to my first insurance conference recently. A lot more suits, okay? Let me tell you. <laughs> but, you know, they kind of picked on cannabis and crypto. The whole time, that was just the butt of the jokes. That was the only time people mentioned it. And it's just because in insurance, they use data. They need information. They need to have a long tail of data to be able to decide what the risk is. And so they don't have that in cannabis and they don't have that in crypto. And so they just kind of think of it as like, haha, new kids on the block, new technology. Um, so yeah, we're all, we're all learning together. We're all trying to share information that's so that we can get you know, more data. Yeah, but obviously we both think that cryptocurrency and blockchain is going to eat the traditional financial world shorts. So <laughs> yep. is it almost as if you're just smiling and, and biting and waiting your time when you're at these events? My dad was an insurance agent and he cannot fathom what I do for a living. Doesn't comprehend. 
Yeah, I mean, well, my, my mom says I work for Bitcoin still, so <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Yeah, I think, you know, it's about education. I mean, I met this guy, he worked at Progressive, and he's like, oh, this is a dumb question, but do you mind like telling me what a wallet is? I'm like, I don't mind. I've told thousands of people what a wallet is at this point, but I don't mind. I don't mind saying it again, and I don't mind putting it out there, you know, kind of to pick on Loisa London again. They're just so traditional. They're so caught up in the ways that they do their business that they're not really going to make these massive changes. But, you know, from that insurance conference, what I heard was like in insure tech, automated underwriting, automated claims processes, all of that blockchain will help them to just manage this whole process, you know, more transparently, more clearly. Another big piece for names of, you know, what our value add is is like, say you're a capital provider in the traditional world, it's very hard to get in and out of those positions. For us, those capital positions will be tokenized. And then you can trade it on our platform. So say the hurricane's off the coast, you can literally go in and try to dump your position for a little cheaper. Maybe someone thinks that the hurricane's going to turn and it's a good deal. So it allows us to integrate some of the tools we're not decentralized. We are not DeFi, but we use decentralized DeFi tools to help us to make a more efficient process. Yeah, I'm sure it clears up a lot of red tape. And just like signing, like literally being able to be like, okay, the broker, you need to sign this. The claims administrator, you need to sign this. Like everything is in one place. So yeah, it, it's going to be hard at the beginning. There's going to be the educational piece, but it eventually it's going to be really easy. It's going to be like me using my my card at the gas pump and using my crypto, but no one knows. It's the meme. Nobody knows I'm using my crypto to pay for gas right now. And do you think that uh, the insurance agent industry will be able to adapt faster than maybe the financial industry when we're talking about like Bitcoin competing against Swift as a payments rail? Maybe. I do think that, you know, I did go to that specific insured tech conference. I do think they are trying to be innovative. They were talking about hiring and how to attract younger people. Insurance has a lot of like older people in it. And just having like automations, being innovative. So I think they have at least, you know, a hint of that in their industry and they seem open to changing. I mean, insurance is changing all the time. What types of insurance people needs, that does change, you know, year from year. You see some insurance companies go out of business, new ones pop up. So yeah, I think they will be more susceptible to it. But at the same time, they're so intertwined in, in banks, their banking relationships. They're not going to risk their banking relationship to do one NFT insurance project, but eventually they won't be able to ignore it anymore. Cool. Kind of wrapping up, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. We were mentioning before we started recording that I used to work in the urban planning field and demographics was just something that we were very cognizant of. And I think... During the last bull run, you had this kind of expansion of the types of folks and the focus on the types of folks who were coming into the blockchain space. And I think I noticed more in the past year or two than in by the five years I've been in crypto that there's been more of a push for increasing the diversity in the crypto space. I have this theory that because all our Twitter profiles are pictures of GIFs and 16-bit images... And we're moving towards more of a remote sort of world that you don't necessarily need to have a physical identity anymore. You can have like a 
proof of work on GitHub. So one of the themes I noticed a lot last year was this increase in talking about women in blockchain. So I just want to hear your anecdotal experience. What has that been like? Like, has there been a big change in the amount of diversity, whether it's women or racial or ethnic in crypto and in Bitcoin in 2022 versus when you first got in? What's just your general perception of the topic? The best thing about crypto is that it is global. It doesn't have to deal with borders. People can have access to it all over the world. So I think just by that alone, it's 100% more diverse. It is 100% more accessible to women, all races, people in, in any country. So I think, yes, I've always seen it as that way. And that's actually been a big draw of it for me. I always joke that crypto conferences are the only place that the men's line for the bathroom is longer than the women's line. That's still the case. So I don't think it's you know hugely different, but it's because we're dealing in mostly finance and tech, and those are male-dominated fields. But I think crypto just has a little bit more of like a welcoming vibe. It's a little bit more like libertarian leaning. Just you do you. You can be anything you want to be and you can come participate in crypto. And, and that's amazing. I think the development of DAOs and exactly what you're saying, like you don't even have to be a male or a female or black or white. You can just be whatever you want to put out there. You know, we work with people in the Shapeshift DAO that I met them at East Denver and I was like, oh yeah, you're a human behind your like cow avatar and you have a real name and, and all these things. But you know, you can participate and just kind of be whatever you want to be. So I think that's amazing. And it does it without forced inclusion or forced diversity. It just has that opportunity. And yeah, one thing I wanted to share on this topic, I used to think about it more and I used to keep a little page in my journal of like every meeting that I would be in where I was the only female in the room. I don't even know why I did it. It was kind of entertaining to me. It just, it just helped me to kind of like, visualize it, say it out loud, even if it was just to myself. And yeah, I mean, that, that was regular and constant, but you know, it evolved more and more, the more people that came into the company, the more people that I, you know, meet now, you do see a diverse group of people. I still make fun of companies that they put their team, all their pictures on the website, and it's all a bunch of white dudes in suits. Like, really? Like, really? You guys can't hire any females in leadership? Um, yeah, I just try to elevate my female friends and and help them. And I'm a mentor to a few women in the space and I meet with them regularly. And, you know, we talk through it. It's not this big thing that is like weighing on us, but it's definitely something to address and something to be like, hey, yeah, I did notice that too. I was the only woman in the room for two years and now it's changing. And then I have a really good friend who I met from Shapeshift and we both have executive roles now. And we literally just like geek out about that. We literally are just so proud of each other and build each other up. And when we're being gaslit, we kind of like check in with each other. Like, wait, am I being crazy? Am I this? So that part I love being able to support women and, and like talk through the challenges or the experiences that you might have. But otherwise, I think crypto is an inviting space. And I think it's available to anyone that wants to participate, like literally I talk to my nieces and nephews and young people and I'm like, do you want to work from home? Do you want to contribute to like this new wave of the world? It's not just new wave of finance, the new wave of the world, because you can. 
Did you notice that the women's line was a little bit longer at the bathrooms at the insurance conference? No, it's the same there too. It's mostly guys. I love to take notes. I love to journal. And I did write down like every badass lady that was on a panel that I was like, oh, okay, they're great. And they were veterans in the insurance space. So they definitely have like this like powerhouse of ladies, you know, being like VP CEOs of insurance companies. And yeah, I definitely took note of that, followed them all on like Twitter and LinkedIn. And I, I just try to get inspiration from other ladies that have paved the way. Yeah. It's interesting because before we started recording, you also mentioned, you know, this isn't a topic I'm super well-versed in, but then as you're talking, you were <laughs> taking these notes and this has subconsciously been a thing that you've thought of. Yeah. So what is a great way to kind of expand beyond this like sex versus sex role and really just kind of empower the right people for the job? Because it sounds like you notice when there's women in an executive role, but it almost also sounds like you in your mind were like, this is where I'm going to end up. Like, it's not even a question. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had a path that I wanted to, to go towards. I mean, I noticed it because I am a woman. I noticed it because I like to build up my other lady friends. And, you know, I, I notice it because, you know, you have been in a room where you say your opinion, no one really says anything. The guy next to you says the same thing you just said. And people are like, oh my God, what a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, you're right. I did say earlier, like, no, it's not something I think about, but I do. It is my experience as a human being. And yeah, to your question, like, you know, what do we do? I think we just look out for each other and, and make sure that you're building people up. If you are employing others, make sure that people are in the right position for them to provide value to your company and to grow themselves. I think that that's what's missing in a lot of companies is like, don't just take from your employees, try, try to give as well. And I think that if we just do that overall, you'll just kind of naturally get more inclusion, more diversity, uh, like look out for people, look out for your friends, build them up, whether it's your female friends or your male friends, like if they're speaking at a conference, like go support them, go be their biggest fan and their cheerleader. I think just continuing that mindset, crypto, it seems kind of easy to like make people think that way. They're already on the fringe. They're already kind of, they, they don't have so many preconceived notions. So I think, yeah, it's just a great space for that just to naturally develop. Awesome. And if somebody hears this guy or girl, and they want to reach out to you and just pick your brain or learn a little bit more about what you're doing at Names or just learn more from an OG in the space, what's the best way they can get in contact with you? Yeah, hit me up on Twitter at Danny Wall with three underscores at the end. And yeah, please come check out Names. We are growing and building and trying to learn. And so anyone that's interested or in the insurance or reinsurance space and wants to talk, I would love to, to hear from you. So yeah, hit me up on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn too, but crypto Twitter, that's the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming to join the Smart Economy podcast, Danny. It's been awesome to get to know you over the years and meet up at the, the various communities you've already spoken about. It was an honor and a pleasure to have you join the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I literally could have talked for another like three hours. So I hope, I hope what we got was good. <laughs> yeah, we got some great content, um, but I look forward to chatting with you for three hours the next time we see each other in person. Perfect. See you soon. Well, what did you think of that conversation? 
It was really interesting to hear firsthand about the shifts in perspectives across the crypto space from 2014 through today. It was also nice to learn more about the iterations that Shapeshift has made along with the changes in blockchain technology, such as the advent of Ethereum and the launch of ThorChain. And it was refreshing to hear that Danny doesn't mind sharing the blockchain 101 with counterparts in her new industry as the insurance space strives to innovate. With that, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.